You're listening to Southside Baptist Church Podcast with our pastor, Dr. Jeff Parker. For more audio content, please refer to our website at ssbaptistchurch.com. Take your Bibles. You'll be proud to know we're going to be back in Luke today. Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. So if you have your Bibles, go over there to the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, and then the Gospel of Luke, chapter 14. And we'll be picking up today at, at verse 1. My dad and I, and, uh, <laughs> and if, you, uh, if you weren't prepared when you came in the front doors, um, if you weren't ready, most of the time, uh, Jeffrey said it takes the jaws of life to get in this church because uh, the front doors were sticking so bad, dragging so bad that that it was hard to get in. So my dad, 81 years old, my dad came over and uh, he helped and we, uh, we got those doors uh, operating correctly uh, this past Thursday. And then Reggie and I got out there sanding and working and re-varnishing the doors and trying to work on the hardware a little bit. But uh, while we were working on those doors, we were constantly being interrupted. Um, at one point a man came and he said, uh, could, you, uh, could you jump off uh, uh, my, my car? We're, we're broke down here, so uh, I, think I, I think Reggie or Steve ended up going and doing that. Then a few minutes later, T, who, who is one of the homeless who lives next door under a tarpaulin over here, T, T came over and said, Brother Jeff, I hate to bother you, but is there any way that you could, uh, that you could put a letter together on church letterhead so that I could take it to the food stamp office and prove where I'm staying so that I can get food stamps. And I, I told him I'd be glad to do that if you'll give me a cut of what you're going to get. I, no. And, uh, and I, think, I think Steve or Reggie took care of that. Uh, so anyway, and, and then a little while later, I was telling Betsy and Josh earlier, a little while later, young, two young ladies came up, pulled up, and they had three little small children sitting in the back seat of the car. And... Um, the girl got out and she walked over and she said, Brother Jeff, I looked at her and kind of did like that, kind of like when I saw uh, my niece a little while ago. I, I, I kind of took a double take and, and I said, Lacey? And she said, yes, it's, it's me, it's Lacey. Lacey was one of our van kids that we picked up and one that when you talk about Lacey to Eloise, Eloise would always cry. And Lacey hugged my neck and she said, Brother Jeff, I want to show you something. And we walked over to her car, and there in the back seat was a little beautiful little boy. She said, this is my little boy. She said, I live over in Pearl. And uh, she said, things are kind of tough sometimes. She said, I said, why don't you come to church? She said, well, gas is, you know. She said, Brother Jeff, we just, I just can't afford the gas. And I told her, I said, well, I tell you, if you'll come over here, I said, we'll take care of your gas. Now, in, in, a, in a matter of, of the time Dad and I worked that morning, we were just constantly interrupted. Now, I want you to listen closely. Every single person was ministered to. There were people that were sent around for a sack lunch. There were people that were given a bag of groceries. There were people that their car was jumped off. There were people that were given money that were about to loot to be thrown out of their hotel room. There were, there were people that were ministered to. In fact, to be honest with you, let me, let me tell you something. Let me, let me just show you. I, I have no money in my wallet. Okay. Most of the time, I don't have no money in my wallet. And i tell you why I don't have no money in my wallet. Because if I have any money in my wallet, I usually give it away. 
This church financially struggles. Let me tell you why we struggle. Because this is a church that doesn't say no to nobody. And the only reason that we're able to continue to be here in this community is because you and I faithfully serve the Lord and we give. And I'm going to tell you, we've not been doing as good a job as we should be doing. And I'm going to tell you this, folks, you can't take it with you. Okay, I've been, I've been burying people for over 30 years. I was even chaplain in the military. I can tell you, I've been burying people. I've never seen a U-Haul, and I've never seen... I, I can tell you this much. They take the jewelry off the, off the person when they close that casket. Seldom do they even leave jewelry on a person. You can't take it with you. The only thing you can do is invest it in the kingdom of God. And I want to encourage you to be faithful. Now, I want to ask you a question today. How do you see people? How do you see people? Or or let me ask you this. Do you see people? In other words, as you and I go about our day, do we look around and do we really notice people? Do we see people? In other words, are people just simply something that kind of just kind of pass by? Or people are somebody that serves you, that you use, that you know you, you use to accomplish a goal or a purpose? Or you go to this person, hey, you go to the register at Walmart, hey, I'm trying to get out of here, trying to do it quickly, and this person is here to serve me, now let's move, let's get it done so that I can get out of here. i got to go. Or do you see that person through the eyes of Christ? You see, that's the critical question today. And, and as we move through this book of Luke, written by this physician, this traveling partner of the Apostle Paul, who's writing to his good friend Theophilus and giving him a chronological account of the life of Jesus Christ, we are now in a time where we're getting to see how Jesus would see people. And I can tell you this much, Jesus saw people, He saw their hurts, He saw their struggles, and He was about ministering to people. Are you about ministering? And even young people, you may say, well, you know, I'm, I'm just a child or I'm a young person. Young people, do you see some of those senior adults that sit in the back of this church? Parent, has it ever occurred to you to tell your children, listen, go walk Miss Jeanette out to her van. Go check on Lib Smith and walk her out to her car. Go spend some time with Mary or Miss Lois. Has it ever occurred to us, do we see people? Has it ever occurred to us that when we leave this church to walk over and say a word to T? Ask him how he's doing. You see, how we see people makes all the difference in the world. You know, some churches see people as a commodity. Some people see, some churches see people as a commodity, a, a something that they're dealing in, that they're just trying to get a bunch of people in and get something out of them and then send them away. But I don't believe that's what God's called the church to be. Now I want you to look at Luke chapter 14. And, I, and I've titled this message today, Table Manners. What does it take to sit at the king's table? Okay, And we're going to be looking at this thing Jesus called the Great Banquet. Now, when I was in officer school, when I was in the Army out at Fort Sam Houston, years and years ago, we had a course on etiquette. In other words, in training a military officer, they taught us etiquette, table setting, manners, and all that. You ever sat down at a table and look at it and go, which fork do I use? 
you know, be at some fancy place and you're sitting there looking and there's about a half dozen pieces of utensil or more and you're trying to figure out which, which one to use. Well, in officer school, one of the things that they teach army officers, military officers, is that you, you and I would understand that. So etiquette was a real important thing. Well, today Jesus is going to be talking about etiquette. And I want you to know something. Politeness and manners is a lost art in America. Have you noticed that? We just don't see a lot of it anymore. Well, Jesus was big on etiquette. And so here we see Him. Now this is the last Sabbath that He will spend before He goes to Jerusalem. In fact, this passage in Luke chapter 14 will go all the way through to Luke 17. This is, this is a, 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 an entire, uh, will encompass a, a Sabbath or a day in the life of Christ. Jesus has been invited into a home, and He's been invited into this home, but He's under the microscope. So let's pick up at Luke chapter 14, beginning at verse 1. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. Now, let me, let me say this. Uh, he was under the microscope. Jesus was being watched. He was being examined. These people had not called him there to minister to him or to fellowship with him or to spend time in a meal. Jesus' every move was being scrutinized. He was being observed. It was being studied. Now, let's stop here and say this. People are watching you. They're watching me. And, and let me tell you this, if you are a professing follower of Jesus Christ, if you claim to be a Christian, they are really watching you. Where you work, where you live, where you go to school, they're keeping their eye on you. You see, they're watching you. I got, I got tickled the other day, Kathy came in and, and, and she said, guess what happened to me yesterday? She said, me and the girls, we got together and we got some Cokes and we got some things together and we, and we, we took them out there to the garbage men, to the men that pick up the garbage. Now I want you to know something, that's a great thing because that's seeing people. That's ministering to people. Well, she said they went out there and the garbage man looked at her and said, I know you. Well, you know, yes, you know me from here. He said, no, I know you from somewhere else. I know you. Where do I know you from? And, and, and she just sat there and he just kept on and finally said... I know where I know you. You go to that church on Raymond Road. You work at that church. And undoubtedly at some point we administered to that man. This church administered to him. And she came back, Kathy said, You know, Brother Jeff, it reminded me of how important it is for me to represent Christ in the right way in this setting here. Because it had come all the way over to Brandon to remind me of that. How do you see people? Well, Jesus here is in the home of a Pharisee and he's being examined. He's being watched. You and I are being watched. Now watch, look at this. Read a little bit farther. Look at verse 2. There in front of him was a man suffering from dropsy. Well, what is dropsy? Dropsy was, a, was, a, was fluid that would build up in the extremities of a person. In other words, in their hands, in their, in their, in their arms, and in their legs. So this man had come. Now we don't understand. It's possible that he was a trap that had been set by the Pharisees because remember, this is the Sabbath. And you're not to work on the Sabbath, and you're not to heal on the Sabbath. So they may have brought this man in and set this up in order to catch Jesus because they were scrutinizing and examining everything that he was doing. Now, now listen to this. Everyone stay with me. Look this way. Jesus could not resist ministering to people in need. You know, I told you this. Listen, you may drive by a homeless man who's holding up a placard, 
and says, we'll uh, need help or whatever, you may drive by him and you may think, I don't have time or I don't have money or, or I just can't do it right now. But hear me, if your heart is not moved, then you better do a heart examination. Because I can say this to you, Jesus never saw people in need that he didn't minister to them. So they knew it. They knew this man, that Jesus wouldn't be able to resist the fact that even though it was the Sabbath, he was going to heal him. So here's this man, he has an ailment, he has a disability, and he's planted there before Jesus. He has all of this fluid. And so watch this, watch, and I love this. In verse 3, Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent, so taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him away. Let me tell you what Jesus did. This is beautiful. This is what he did. Here's this man that is diseased. Here's this man may have been ugly even in his appearance because of his disease. You know what Jesus does to him? You know what it means in the Greek here? Jesus reached... Steve, come here. This is, this is what he did. Okay. The only time Steve gets as excited is when football season started. But, but this, this is what he did. And I'll cut my mic off. He just hugged him. Steve's uncomfortable with that. So he's going, I don't do that. That's what he did. He just reached. He embraced And the Bible says here in the language, in the Greek language, it just meant that he embraced him. He just loved, he just wrapped his arms around him and pulled him up close. And watch this, the disease immediately left him. He probably had congestive heart failure. And immediately this man is made whole. And so here we have... Jesus, and I love this because he's carrying on a dialogue with what these people are thinking in verse 4. But they, remind, but they remained silent, so taking hold of the man, he healed him and he sent him away. Then he asked them, if one of you has a son or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull him out in verse 6? And they said nothing. It is about reaching people. It's about ministering to people. You see, that's what it's about. And so Jesus here is telling you and I, and he's given, this is the test of the church. The test of the church, the test of you and I, is if we are filled with the Holy Spirit, if God's Holy Spirit is living in me and through me, when I see people in need, I can't help but ministry to them. You know, the reality is we can't help it. Now let's read on, look at verse 7. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. Now, I I said this first point is where to sit. Where do you sit? In verse 7, it says, When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. Well, let me say this. They weren't the only ones that were studying behavior here. Jesus was also watching. He was amused because they were doing something here. They were trying to secure the best seat in the house. Look at verse 8. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor for, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this man your seat. Then humiliate it. You will have to take the least important place. But when you're invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he'll say to you, friend, move up to a better place. 
then you will be honored in the presence of all your fellow guests. For every Now look at verse 11. This is a good principle to teach children. For everyone who exalts himself will what? Will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will what? Be exalted. Jesus was a... He was studying them. And listen, they were all trying to one-up one another, trying to secure the best seat. Let me read to you a quote here. It said, um, G. Campbell Morgan said this, In order to see what Jesus saw, we must understand the method of seating guests in these eastern homes. That method was most often that of a triclinium. The triclinium was a table with seats for three people. On an occasion like this, they would have had a number of such tables with seats of three. In other words, they had seats of triclinium where were tables that were designed for three people to sit at. There would be a center seat and then a, a seat on each side. There would be tables arranged and then there was a table sitting in the middle. Well, every one of the Pharisees and these people were trying to clamor not only to sit in the, sit in the center seat, they wanted to be in the center table. They wanted everybody to see who they were. And so Jesus is sitting there with a smile on his face and watching these people trying to maneuver and manipulate because they're driven not by humility but by pride. They wanted to be seen. They were wrestling for the best seat in the house because that was an indication of where their heart was. You see, the reality is sometimes position and prominence are the goal. We manipulate, we maneuver, we position, we step on, we do whatever because we want to be seen by men. You know, it's been interesting, the Casey Anthony trial. Can you believe how people were trying to fight and wrestle for a seat in the, in the courtroom? I mean, getting in fights, pushing and shoving, trying to get their way so they could see a woman get off. It's funny because sometimes you go to the movie. Sheila and I, we'll go to the movie. And um, when we go to the movie, which is a date, we try to sit in the center section strategically in a position to be able to see the movie from the best angle. Well, you know what happens. Everybody wants to do that. You're in an empty theater. You're the only two people sitting in there and some big buffoon will come sit right behind you or right in front of you. And his head looks about that big, you know. And he's seven foot eight. You know, and he's got a head this big, looks like a balloon in front of you. And you're thinking, you're thinking to yourself, you know, we've got a whole theater here. I mean, you know. And, you know, Sheila's saying sugar booger and all that. She's wanting to love on me and it's embarrassing. So, you know, I'm, I'm, we're trying to date. And, 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 and so I'm, you know, so we, we figured out something. Hey, let's just sit on the two seats at the end here on the aisle. And, and, and because ain't, no, nobody's going to want to sit next to us. They're all trying to clamor and get in the middle. You see, but there's something here. Jesus was simply saying to these people, He was saying, listen, you are, you are driven by need for recognition, for pride, for jealousy. You, the, in fact, one writer said this, the choosing of a particular seat is not because we like a certain location or not because they liked a certain location, but rather because of who will see us sitting in that location. 
Jesus said, listen, he said, it's about people, how you see people, how you minister to people. Your thought is here, you sit here, I'll sit somewhere else. You know, sometimes when I'm invited into a home and, and, and you're standing there in the dining room and you're, you're kind of waiting, you're waiting trying to see where people are going to be seated. Trying to figure out where you seat. You're going to sit wherever they tell you to sit. And so Jesus was simply saying, He could see their hearts. He was saying, listen, it is amazing to me that a man comes in here crippled with disease, you're just absolutely indifferent and apathetic to him, but then you turn right around and you clamor to sit at the best seat. He said, you've got a heart problem. Hear me, when you and I don't see people in need, when we are not committed to ministering to people, when we are not committed to the cause of Christ, when we can drive past people who are standing on a street corner and saying, we'll work for food, when we can see a single mom who's literally at the end of a rope working at a checkout stand and she looks like she's frazzled and at the end of her day and we treat her like a piece of trash or we treat her like somebody just, hurry up and let me get through because my world is about me. It's about me. I don't have time for nobody else. My little world centers around me, and God knows don't interrupt or disrupt your little world. Sometimes Christians are absolutely the world's worst. Sometimes it's embarrassing to go to over here to Piccadilly. I, I told you there have been times I've watched Christians, people, church members, deacons. I remember a deacon in his family one time getting up at Piccadilly's, walking out and not leaving one cent for the girl. And he wasn't leaving it at the register either. Those girls over there at Piccadilly's and most of these restaurants are making $2.13 an hour. And most of them are working on Sundays because Christian people are trading with them. Every time I eat out on a Sunday, you know what I do? I apologize. I do. You see, Jesus was saying there's a heart problem here. Well, it's not only where to sit, listen, it's how to serve. Look at verse 15 through 24. He said, when one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. You know what I think Jesus thought? Wow, somebody finally is beginning to understand here. William Barclay said this. He said, the Jews believed in the messianic banquet, and it is this banquet to which this man speaks of as well. When he spoke of the happiness of those who would be guests at that banquet, he was thinking of Jews and of only Jews. For the average Orthodox Jew would never have dreamed that Gentiles and sinners would find a place at the feast of God. And that is why Jesus spoke this parable. Watch what he goes on to say in verse 16. Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and he invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servants out to tell those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I bought a field. I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married and I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. 
You see, what was he saying here? When a Jew had a when a Jew made a banquet, what he would do is he would go out and he would send out invitations. In other words, he would tell his servants, he said, Listen, you go you go to Steve, go to, over to Steve Mullane and Tiana's home and tell them they've been invited to this banquet. And 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 what Steve would do then is he would say, Hey, he would look at the invitation and say, We're gonna be there. Put us, put us down for three. In other words, Irene and the social committee, this is what we do. Hey, reserve my spot. I'm going to be there. So the person who's making the banquet goes back and he says, well, the Harpers are going to be there. That's three. The Ainsworths are going to be there. That's half the church. And the Russells are the other half. Now, I'm joking because I love a big family and we had one. In fact, I say have as many kids as you can have. All God's people said? Some of them said, oh no. <laughs> but you know, what, 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 what he would do is he would, he would begin, then he would begin to prepare the food. He'd get everything ready. And then he'd send his service. He'd say, now listen, it's, it's, it's almost ready. I want you to go to the Ainsworths. I want you to go to Russell's home. I want you to go to the Harpers. And I want you to tell those people, tell them all to come, come start getting ready because it's almost time. Like a mama who calls, who's been working on supper, and shouts out across the house and, and out the back door, it's almost supper time, come home. But this servant comes back and says, hey, I, 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 Harper's can't make it. Why? Well, he got a new car. And uh, he, they just wanted to get out and drive this afternoon, kind of maybe drive over to Vicksburg and well, I've I've already prepared and made. I've got three places set here. We've we've already. Uh, well, and another servant come in and said, "Well, the Ainsworths not going to be there." Well, why aren't they going to be there? Well, seems they've gone on vacation. Well, well, now wait a minute. I they knew. Well, what what about Russell and his family? Well, they just bought a new HDTV, forty-seven inch. High definition. First preseason ball games on Russell said, we just can't be there. <laughs> as close as I get to Bill Clinton, we just can't be there. <laughs> and so everybody begins to make an excuse. Excuse after excuse is coming back. The table's been prepared. Places are empty. And, and, and the, listen, these are excuses and not reasons. Now, I want you to think about that. Because behind every excuse is a lack of desire. You see, this, this, see, this, is, not, this is not about reasons. This is not about emergencies. These were excuses. And we make excuses because we don't want to be somewhere because we really don't have a desire. We look for an excuse because we don't want to go. We don't want to go. You know, this is a picture here of the table of grace. In fact, I wrote down here, the table of grace, an invitation goes out to everyone. That's God's grace. You know what God does? God sets a banquet table. That's a table of grace. You know what He tells you and I? He said, listen, I want all of y'all to be involved in this. I want you to go out and I want you to tell everybody that they are invited to the table of grace. Anybody and everybody. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. For God so loved the world that He, he set a table for all of the world. The hell is not, Listen, hell is meant for the devil and his angels. It wasn't meant for any man. 
There's enough room at the table of grace for every person. G. Campbell Morgan said this, he said, men enter the kingdom as they receive the gift. The invitation goes to every one of them. If we are excluded from the kingdom of God, it is because we have refused the invitation. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Well, what's the problem? Man declines the invitation. Man begins to make excuses. The first man said, look, I've got a piece of property, and I've got to go check it out. You know what his problem was? Materialism. I've got too much stuff. You know, some people in church today, some people in the membership of this church, they just have too much stuff. They don't have time for God. That's the problem in America right now. We just, we're so materialistic. We are too much stuff. I can tell you what the problem is. I can tell you what the problem is in Washington. Is what I told my Sunday school class. We are a greedy, self-centered, it's all about me culture and society. And everybody says, don't you touch my Medicare. Don't you touch my Medicaid. Don't you touch my Social Security. Don't you touch my benefits. Because it's all about me. We are the greediest self-centered nation in the world while the rest of the world exiled a living on a, on a cup of rice about that size. I remember we were being trained at the Foreign Mission Board years ago. They brought us in. Every day we had a salad bar. We had an ice cream box. We had a complete lineup. Man, every day after we'd, at lunchtime we'd walk through their board. We'd take our tray. We had three or four selections of meat, vegetables. I'm in the IMB, the International Mission Board. Buddy, they rolled out the red carpet. We went to the salad bar. We got through. We went over to the ice box. We had all kinds of desserts. One day we had the, the morning was spent in the in how the rest of the world lives compared to the Americans. We got through, man, we were hungry. Oh man, that salad bar is gonna be good today. I wonder what they got cooking today. We couldn't smell anything in the in that in that place there in Richmond, that training center. All of a sudden we walked in there, there the line was empty. The the ice cream box was locked. They padlocked it. There was nothing on that big salad cart. We walked in there, we looked, and at the table, sitting at every set place, was a bowl of rice about that big with a little scoop of rice, white rice in the middle of it, and they said, have at it. Man, we were sitting there, our stomachs gnawing and growling, and they said, eat up! that's the way the world, that's what the world survives on daily, that amount, if they're lucky once a day. And we are trillions of dollars in debt, shaking our fist at Washington and saying, give me what I want. You know, it's amazing to me that we forget the leadership of men like even, even some of the very own party leaders years ago, men like John F. Kennedy who said this line right here, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. Boy, that's out the window 50 years later. It's all about me. Give me my stuff. The only problem is, is we better go down there and apologize to the babies and the children down there in the preschool department because they're the ones that are going to foot the bill one day for it. God forbid that an American gives up anything anymore.
You say, you don't, you don't, Brother Jeff, you're different. No, I'm not. I built my house. Me and my dad built my house. At 10 o'clock at night, I have a, my headlights shining on it, building it. I've turned down raises in this church for the last nine or ten years to stay here and pastor this church. I don't have no money in my wallet and got very little in the bank. If I lost my job, I might last two weeks. At 55, I finally bought me a used Toyota truck. And I told Sheila two or three weeks ago, I said, I'm about ready to sell it. My friend, when we love and value something, I value and love this church so much that I'll give my heart and soul, my health and everything I have in order to see that it continues to be a testimony and witness for the cause of Christ in this community and in this city. You see, these were not reasons, they were excuses. And Jesus understood that we, that this was a problem of priorities. You see, when we value something, when we value it, we put it, we give it a high priority. We give it time and attention. We, we, listen, we, we, we put everything in it. Hear me, listen, there are things in this church that need to be repaired. And, and some of you who say, well, you know, I, I serve my time. My 81-year-old dad doesn't say that. He's not only keeping up his church, he'll come over and help here. Some of you young parents, you have gifts and abilities right now. You ought to come up to Steve and say, Steve, or the administrator of this church, you ought to say, Steve, listen, what can I do? What, what, and, and listen, bring your kids and come up here and repair something, fix something. Let them hang around you a little bit. It's a good feeling. These people weren't making reasons. They weren't giving reasons. They were giving excuses because their priorities we're all wrong. Jesus was saying, listen, it's not about you. You know what Jesus said? Last thing, even before He was going to the cross, you know what He did? And we'll close in a minute. You know what He did? He walked into those disciples. The Bible says He bound up, He, he pulled his, his garments up, tied them up. He took a towel and a basin. Imagine this, God in the flesh, Emmanuel. A basin taking foot, filthy foot after filthy foot, making his way. You know, Jeff, my problem here was, I thought one time, I couldn't remember, did he wash Judas's feet? Had Judas already left the room? I don't think so. If I remember, Judas was still in the room. He washed the feet of the one who would betray him. I had a helicopter pilot, a helicopter pilot who called Eloise one day and said, is the pastor going to be in? And she said, yes. He said, well, I want to come by. I want to do something for him. Pilot comes in, and he comes in, and he has a bag. He has, he has stuff in the bag. He Eloise says, go on in, and I'm sitting in Steve's office there, and I'm sitting behind my desk, and he comes in with these two bags, sets them down there. Here's, here's, a, here's a helicopter pilot, a man who flies men all over, 
And he said, he said uh, Brother Jeff, he said, I want to do something for you. I said, I said, what is it? He said, would you mind coming around here and sitting in this chair in front of your desk? I said, what? no. I sat down and this man got out on his knees. He opened that bag and he pulled out a little basin. Pulled out a jug of water. I, I, I can't, he had a towel. He may have had soap, I don't know. And he poured that water. Now, I got ugly feet. I mean, Sheila's the only one who loved me enough to ever even touch him. He pulled my, he pulled my shoes off. Pulled my socks off. He cradled my feet like they were a newborn baby. He put them in that water and he began to wash my feet. And he's just talking to me. He said, Brother Jeff, he said, uh, I hope you don't mind, but he said, I felt led of the Lord to do this. He said, the Bible said, blessed are the feet of those who, who bear the gospel, who bring good tidings of great joy. He said, I want you to know something. He said, I love you. I love everything you've done for my family. All the while, this helicopter, big man, helicopter pilot, on his knees, washing my feet. He had finished one foot. He would dry that, pat it dry. Then he'd wash the other foot. Most humbling thing that I've ever had done to me. And I never forgot it. That's what Jesus would ask all of us to do for each other and for a lost and dying and hurting world. We're, we're, not, we're, not, we're not going to restaurants and eating and greedy, selfish, and self-centered and telling the waitress and the waiter to hurry up and finish and, because we're frustrated and irritated. Hurry up. I've, I've got to go because it's all about me. We're not the one going down the interstate who gets behind a senior adult lady who's just left going home from church and we're irritated and irritable and ripping out the side her and around her and glaring back at her because we've got somewhere to go because the interstate is all about me. The interstate is my interstate. We're not about packing up our stuff and flying out the door of the church as quickly as we can because we've got somewhere to go. We've got to get home and watch a ball game. Check on supper and God knows don't take nobody with us to eat with us. God knows that we don't say something to a senior adult who's inching her way out to a vehicle to go home to a house that's bars on the doors and the windows because this city is so dangerous now she lives in fear. But we don't have time to fool with her, to check and see if she got home all right. Because it's about me. And I'm young, and I've got plenty of energy and vitality, and I've got a family right now. I don't have time to fool with that. You will one day. Because one day you will be that senior adult inching your way to a vehicle alone by yourself after your spouse has gone to children and moved away. I can tell you the problem with the church is a problem in America. It's all about me. What are y'all going to do today? A little loud day, wasn't it, preacher? When y'all going to get them doors fixed? Coffee is a little strong today in my classroom.
Somebody needs to pick up that trash. There's some trash out there in front of the church. Who's going to teach them boys down there? Who parked that van out there? We ain't going to be able to get up under there to drop our, drop our uh, people off if it's raining. That van parked out there. Preacher's all about me. Maybe, my friend, but I can tell you this much of it is. You don't know the Jesus I know. This church would be a great church if we just had a few people that acted and looked like Jesus in it. We've got some, we need a few more. He don't need excuses. So I'm going to ask you with heads bowed and with eyes closed, I want you to stand quietly. Heads bowed and with eyes closed, nobody looking around. I want to ask you again, how do you see people? Are people there for you? Or are you there for people? When you walk into a restaurant, do you smile and think to yourself, how am I going to bless these people? When you walk into Walmart or a business, you walk up to a register, do you ever stop and say, how can I minister to her? It's not about me getting out of here. Let me ask her how her day's going. Hey, look this way. Look this way. You have trouble with evangelism? People say, you know, I just don't, I, I just get so nervous. I don't know how to share my faith. I get so scared. Let me give you a, let me give you a real easy thing to do. Look at the lady at the register or waiting on your table or when you go pay for your gas or when you walk into a classroom or whatever you do. Look at somebody. Look at the teacher you're getting ready to rake over the coals because Junior's not doing well and you're blaming her instead of Junior. Look at people and say, how can I pray for you? Is there something I can pray? You know, I've asked that question. I mean, you know sometimes people start crying? How can I pray for you? Once you get there, you won't have no problem talking about Jesus. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, dear Lord, I pray that for each one of us in this room, that dear Lord, from this day forward, dear Lord, it would be like that old chopper pilot. Lord, such a sweet man. I've never forgotten him. Big old man just kneeling there washing my feet. Lord, I felt so unworthy. But it challenged me to get busy about washing feet, about ministering to people. Lord, may we do that, just like Kathy, uh, ministering to that garbage man. Dear Lord, may we be that person that walks out and hands a cold Coke to the man dumping that garbage in a truck and smiling and saying, listen, just appreciate what you do. How can I pray for you? May, dear Lord, when we walk through Walmart, when we stand at the register, may we hold up the line just for a moment. May we smile and say, look, how can I pray for you? You're having a good day. Let me pray for you. Lord, may we understand that we are here to see people come into the kingdom, to sit at the banquet table 
And you've told us to go out into the highways and byways and compel them to come in. Lord, we had two homeless die this past week. Two homeless men. Both families contacted this church and said, thank you. Lord, may we, we may not be a big church, but may we be a church about people. And Lord, I pray that if someone doesn't know you, that right now they invite you to come into their heart to become in this moment a Christian and to begin to be a follower of Christ. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.